thank you. Amen. Okay, um, so first of all, just to let you know, um, everything that's been spoken is, um, there's, there's notes that uh, will be on the YouTube channel. So when you see the first of the sermons go up, um, there'll be a PDF file. So everything that I've said um, will be on there. Um, although I'll put on sermons one, two and four, but not three, because last night was a bit of a doozer, I'm afraid. I was really tired and I know I looked at my notes and realised that I'd actually said pretty much everything I was going to say. And I was like, OK, great. So I just waffled for half an hour, which is a very dangerous thing for me to do. I come out with these really loaded statements that I don't qualify. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, so today I'm going to uh, talk about something which which has been good that some people have already mentioned this today. Uh, which is united we stand, divided we fall. Uh, and I think of, of all the things that, <laughs> that I say, I know this is the one that's going to get me into, the most, into, into the, a lot of trouble in the future. Because I do believe that God wants his church to be one again. I do believe that God wants a reformation, not a reformation, but a reformation where we're bringing things back together. But with that is a cost. And, uh, and, and it's difficult. And so I'm just going to start with... A prophecy that God gave me uh, about a month or two ago called the stained glass window which I think illustrates a picture of what I believe God's going to do and the base text is Ezekiel eleven nineteen, and it says I'll give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit within you and uh, will give them a heart of flesh and it says I will give my people one heart soon a heart that is my heart a heart that my true church will beat with where all my people beat with one heart to the same beat. My people are broken and schismed, and this is not healthy. In this there can never be any kind of true unity. Birds of a feather often flock together. However, I'm doing a new thing, a wonderful thing, where birds of a feather will not flock together. No, they will be a menagerie of different flocks and different breeds. Many will ask how such a thing can be. It is because I will give them one new heart. They are all different, yet they all share the same heart. Man's way is to stick to one's own kind. This is not my way. I respect the different breeds of my people, but I don't want them singled out according to kind. I want them to be one in heart, not in kind or breed. My prayer is that my church be one. It began as one and has now become broken like glass shards all over the floor with no possibility of repair. <coughs> However, I am going to take this broken glass and form a stained glass work of art from the fragments. I'm not going to fix the brokenness. No, rather, I'm going to piece the brokenness of the coloured glass to create a single piece of artwork. This beauty, the beauty of this stained glass window, will be in the colours of the broken shards. I will take those broken pieces and put them together into something new. Then with the light of my sun shining through, all will gaze and marvel upon this new but old church, a church that is truly one, not by uniformity, but in unity of heart and of purpose. In John 17, 21, Jesus prays the high priestly prayer. And he says, I pray that they may all be one father, May they be in us, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be one, so that the world will believe that you sent me. So our unity is essential for the world. The world needs to see 
that the church is in unity. But more often than not, you know, we see on Facebook Christians arguing about the finer points of doctrine, don't we? I mean, go on. Who's been guilty of doing it? <laughs> yeah, I would have first put my hand up. I, d- I try not to do it anymore. I try to um, keep out of it. Um, every, every now and then my flesh gets the better of me. <laughs> I turn into a keyboard warrior. But um, generally, I, uh, I just leave it alone. Now, the early church, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson now. The early church, for all its faults and foibles, because it was a mess, uh, and all its theological blunders, and hence why we had to have so many church councils to deal with issues like... Is Jesus just a guy? Is he just the son of God or is he actually God? And then issues of the Holy Trinity and all that kind of stuff. And that took 350 years to work out. So if you're struggling with the Trinity, okay, well, those guys took them 350 years to work out. Hallelujah. And that's why it's good to know your history as well. So we don't have to keep repeating ourselves and making the same mistakes, which unfortunately we are doing in certain areas. So there was only one true, for a thousand years, there was one true, holy, apostolic and Catholic church. Not Catholic as in Roman Catholic, but Catholic as in the universal church. There was only one denomination. I mean, can you imagine that? One denomination. It's like, wow. There'll be like, we've got 150,000 of them now. Okay. Now you might like the choice, but uh, somehow... I'm not sure that's really containing God's heart. So the church was one for a thousand years. Then in the fateful year of the Our Lord 1054 came what was known as the Great Schism. Uh, and this was a huge wrenching apart of the church in Rome, which was in the, in the west, from the uh, church that was in the eastern part of, of Europe. And they argued. There was lots of political things going on. And this is the danger when we start mixing politics with our faith. Because when you do that, shing, you're going to cause a schism. Having said that, I'm just reminded by the Holy Spirit, well, you talked about Brexit, so uh, I should just let that one go for a minute and come back to that. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. So they argued over many things such as the youth. Now, this is quite funny when I look back at it, but I'm going to point out some things that we argue about today. Okay, so this is what caused the great schism, amongst other things. But these these were the, the three key things. The church in Rome were saying, actually, we believe you should use unleavened bread. And the church in the East were like, what gives? We don't care. We'll just use bread. All right. So they had big arguments about that. Then there were debates about whether the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son. Okay, that was the Catholic Church. And then in the, in the Eastern part, they were arguing about, well, we only believe that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and not the Son. Okay, again, you're like, what gives? Okay. And then, of course, the other big one was uh, the issue of one bishop to rule them all, one bishop to bind them all. Okay, and so that didn't go down too well. And again, that was like, well, no, we don't think any one man should have that kind of power. We don't mind because they did have popes, but they were regional popes. And so they didn't like the idea of one guy that would just kind of rule them on. Oh, no, the wind bloweth. See, someone's not impressed with my notes. <laughs> Thank you. And so that basically caused a massive split. And it was known as the Great Schism. And that's what broke apart. So you had then the Roman Catholic Church and then you had the Eastern Orthodox Church. And that's literally where those two came from. There's a lot more to it than that. But they were, 
they were some of the primary things that went on. And so the church went their, their separate ways. Uh, the Orthodox came, went on and they're still carrying on today. They haven't had any splits. And then we come to 500 years later and then we have the Great Reformation. Unfortunately, the Reformation was necessary because things were in a bit of a mess. Um, but since that time, since what I call the Great Divorce, um, we've had now over 150,000 different denominations because once that divorce began, we just like, well, if we didn't agree on that and that's what we're going to schism over, now we're not going to agree on issues of baptism and now we're not going to agree on issues of, of the Eucharist and now we're not going to, you know, and, and pedo-baptism or adult baptism and on and on and on it goes. So hence giving birth to the Lutherans, the Baptists and all of these different things that we have today. It's quite fascinating reading. It's actually quite boring reading as well, but um, it is interesting to see what, what, what causes us to split off. Now, I'm sure you're all in agreement that it is a mess. Now, if you were the father in heaven and you were looking down on the earth, you'd be like, man, why can't they just get on with each other? I mean, you know, as someone said earlier on, it was a good word. You know, we're all from an apple tree, you know, and, uh, you know, we're all different shades of apples. But, you know, there's not really a lot that divides us apart from silly nuances. And that's the problem. And so I believe in these days that we're going to have another reformation that God wants to bring to his church, but not a reformation for another big split, but actually a reformation where God gathers things back together again to create this stained glass window that celebrates, in one sense, the brokenness of us all and piecing it together to make something new and fresh, yet exceptionally ancient at the same time. Now that, to me, sounds like a plan. This... I found this really interesting. Does anyone, anyone remember the, the gentleman called Brother Young? Uh, he was a, a Chinese underground leader. And he said something that really blew my mind in his book, The Heavenly Man. He said that the church, the underground church in China, were completely united until uh, people in the West started sending Bibles over, but with additional pamphlets of their doctrinal biases. Okay, based on their denomination. And then literally what it did, uh, Brother Young said, it, it fragmented and schismed the whole underground church. So now there were pockets that believed that, pockets that didn't believe this, pockets that believed this, that, and so and so forth. And that were, to me was really telling that actually certain what I call secondary doctrinal issues are probably the most dangerous things in the church today. I'm not talking about primary doctrinal issues, and I'll cover them in a minute. I'm talking about secondary issues. Yeah. You know, our soapboxes. We've all got them, right? Yeah. I said, we've all got them, right? Yeah. Yes, we've all got them. It's like, this is my soapbox, and I'm standing on it, and I'm no, no one's going to take me off this soapbox. <laughs> okay, so denominational bias and doctrines, I believe, are the biggest causes to headaches and heartaches in Christendom, and every faction of Christendom is equally guilty of all crimes charged. They really are. So whether you're an Anglican, a Lutheran, a Catholic, Orthodox, Baptist, Pentecostal, every one of us, we are guilty of being, not necessarily on purpose, but one way or another, we are kind of all guilty by being schismatic and being divisive. I include other things like, you know, Hebrew roots movements and stuff. I love all of these things in the spectrum, but it's when any one of these denominations that tries to say, our way is the right way, your way is the wrong way. When we start going down that road, 
We're just heading for another disaster and God doesn't want birds of a feather to flock together. He wants his people to be one, which means, as it says in the Bible, you've got to bear with one another. Okay, amen, bear with one another. That means there's going to be people that are really going to annoy you. Amen. You think I annoy you. Some of you really annoy me, but I just got to, I've got to love you because not not because I get paid for it, because I'm a pastor. I've got to love you. Amen. And you've got to love me, even though some of you don't, but you've got to love me. Hallelujah. I mean, I don't look that bad. I I thought I'd, I'd scrub up a bit today for you as well. So at least I'm easy on the eye. So where do we go from here is the big question. Firstly, I I believe over the next, this is not predictive, this is just me working this out, but I think over the next 10 years, I believe that the church is going to go through, in this, in the UK, and I'm only talking about the UK, a massive metamorphosis, so that, and it's going to cause a lot of problems, and it's going to cause a lot of heartaches, and it will be harder on those that refuse to yield on this issue. And I, and, I, and I feel, you know, God's warned me that this is the message, the one message that will get me into more trouble than anything else and will actually bring, on, in a weird kind of way, more division than anything else, is to actually make the church united. Because there will be always people that will just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to drop on my sword on this one. I'm not going to relent and I'm not going to yield on it, even though it's a secondary issue. Now, I'm not saying that we all must embrace every heretic or anything like that, because obviously I'm not. So the primary points of doctrine, you know, like that we say in the Apostles' Creed, so the virgin birth, that's a non-negotiable. I've heard some charismatic Christians say, and these are famous ones, uh, one particular one, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's gone on the record saying, you know, whether Jesus was born of a virgin or not really doesn't make any difference to me. It's like, oh man, you just don't realise what you're saying. You know, it's the fulfillment of the Genesis 3 prophecy, 3.15, which is from a woman will come one that shall crush Satan's head. Okay, it has to be a virgin birth because for all the theological reasons behind that, you know, and it has to be a supernatural thing because it's, it's, you know, it's God incarnate that's come to dwell amongst us. These are massive theological, um, important, non-negotiables. Amen. But, but again, we just think they're up for up. The, the reason why we think they're up for grabs is because the modern day church has forgotten her history and she doesn't think it's important. Um, yeah, I could get into a bit on the side issue there, but I'm not going to keep, keep on target. Stay on target. Dun, 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 dun. Stay on target. OK, for all the Star, Star Wars fans out there. So the virgin birth, Jesus is God, the Holy Trinity, you know, that's that's another one there there was a there was a survey done in america of evangelical christians of which 78 percent said they were not sure if jesus is god but they believed he's divine and they believed he's the son of god but these are honest christians that because of the the doctrine of sola scriptura which basically said well i in the way that i read my bible this is how i see it now, let me explain about Sola Scriptura. I am completely behind it in the sense of that the Word of God is the foundation of our faith and what we believe in. What I don't agree with is that Sola Scriptura went too far in the sense that, because the early the problem with the Reformation was that at that time, church tradition was more important than the Scriptures, which caused a lot of problems. So the knee-jerk reaction to that was, 
by scripture alone. We don't want to know any of that tradition stuff, actually. Don't want none of that. So what's happened is now is that then that took the interpretation of the scriptures in certain areas away from the church and then gave it to the individual. And then we kept subdividing and subdividing and subdividing. It should have been a halfway house between the church holds certain biblical truths and they are sacrosanct and they are not open for negotiation. And then these other things, well, you can read it and decide for yourself. That's how it should have been. But instead, we had one extreme and Sola Scriptura gave us another extreme. That's what I believe, personally, in my opinion. And that's why I think we're in a time now where everything is up for grabs. We're trying to renegotiate the doctrine of the Trinity. We're trying to renegotiate the virgin birth. We're even renegotiating whether maybe the scriptures are not so valid as we thought they are and all this kind of stuff. When you go down that road, everything is open for, um, for grabs. Other things. The, um, the communion of the saints, these are non-negotiable. Eternal judgment is non-negotiable. Yet you hear a lot of Christians that will, that will say, no, 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 there is no eternal judgment. The resurrection of the dead is, that's what it says in the tin, that's what it says in the Bible. These are non-negotiables. But, but other stuff is what I call secondary issues. And unfortunately, it's the secondary issues that we really get passionate about. Because we know that the Trinity's been dealt with, so we're not gonna argue about that for the most part. But we come into, <laughs> we come into areas. And now you're, some of you are thinking, well, I've, I think we're pretty sound here, Chris. We, we're not gonna argue. Okay, eschatology. <laughs> All right, some of you are going, what's eschatology? Uh, it's the study of end times, okay? Ah, are you pre-trib, mid-trib? Post-trib? No trip? You know? Are you, are you, are you, are you, uh, are you rapture? Or are you not rapture? You know, man, I've seen, I've seen some real cool bun fights with that one. Um, or here's another one. I actually had to shut down a house group because of this, because they would argue about it every week. Once saved, always saved, or not always saved. You know, those two, they're like, all night, they're like, get the boxing gloves out, and they'd fight. And I'd tell you for weeks, guys, you've got to stop doing it. And they're just like, it's like they were like on Tourette syndrome and something. So, so, someone would trigger someone else and say, say something, and, and off they would go. And then someone else would say something, and off they would go. We literally had to shut it down because they were so badly behaved Christians. There was even visitors that were coming into their home group and they were terrified. It's like, what the heck's going on with these guys? You know, it's just like watching at Wembley or something, you know, with their do do doctrinal differences. Um, different types of worship music. Or how many YouTube videos have I seen that? Don't sing Bethel songs, they're of the devil. Even though I look at the lyrics of the Bethel songs, and I'm like, it's all about Jesus, it's all about this. Yeah, I know there's some fluffy, fluffy half-baked songs out there, but there's a lot of really good worship out there. And, and other people's like, no, we must only sing hymns only, and it must be from the 1549 hymnal. Well, what did they do before the 1549 hymnal? What were they singing then? Yeah. Spider, and it's not even... Well, I've got a spider on me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Then there's spiritual gifts versus cessationism. Cessationism is where you don't believe in any of the spiritual gifts, okay? That's another good one. Um, politics. Are you anti-vaccine or pro-vaccine? All right, look, the back end of the room's gone quiet because they know I'm pointing on them, okay? Because we are making secondary issues a salvation issue when it's not and we're dividing the church over it. I must say, when, when COVID uh, happens, that it was the most difficult time for me and Tracy as pastors 
because the leaders were at each other's throats, the congregation were at each other's throats, there were people leaving because other people were ramming it down each other's throats, how that they were pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine and stuff. And it was like, guys, you just need to knock it off. You can have an opinion, no one's gonna stop you having an opinion, but we don't preach the gospel of pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, we preach the gospel of Christ crucified. And then, of course, we, uh, we get the issue of alcohol. I don't think that's such a problem in our church. It's quite clearly where they stand. Um, <laughs> oh, here's a good one. Women in leadership. Oh, that's, now, that's a real soapbox for some people. I mean, I've had some people really try and rip a piece out of me on that one. They really, but again, it's not actually a primary issue. I appreciate it may be important to you, and I'm not denying some of these things. Maybe you are passionately behind some of these things. But nevertheless, it's not a live or die by doctrine. You know, it's not something to fall on your sword over. Stick to the primary basics of the Christian faith. Good, there's another spider on me. Um, what's God saying about that? Um, prophetic types, you get to work for me. Okay. Build a building. Build a building? Okay, not under a tent. Here's another one. Predestination versus free will. Uh, for those that are in the know, Calvinism versus Arminianism. No, there's not many people in the know then. Um, <laughs> denominational differences. So, for example, so when, when I said earlier on about the petty, seemingly the petty differences between the Roman church and the, in the Eastern church, you're like, really? The type of bread that they're using? Hey, we wouldn't argue about that. Okay, so here's some, here's some doctrinal differences. So I'm going to take the, the uh, Eucharist, for example. You've got transubstantiation. Catholics, you've got consubstantiation, the Lutherans, you've got the spiritual presence, Anglicans, Anglicans are great, they always take the middle road on everything, don't they? Um, memorialism, baptism, uh, that's the Baptist, you know, where it's in memory only. So, I mean, again, some people are really passionate about what they believe about communion, but it's not a primary doctrinal issue, and I'm not going to lose sleep over what you do believe or don't believe. I've settled it in myself, what I believe, and I'm happy with that. Another good one, the Nephilim. Ah, right. uh, see, those that are in the know, they laugh. It's like, no, it was angels. And it's like, it's not angels. No, it's not angels. Yes, it is angels. Yes, it is angels. No, it's not angels. Okay, so, and if you want, this is interesting, but the early church argued over it as well. Yeah, they were like really divided over it and the whole book of Enoch and all that kind of stuff. They were always arguing about that. So, uh, and again, that was what our home group used to argue about as well. You know, they would fight each other. Well, I know what your opinion on an Nephilim is. And then the other, well, I told you, well, I'll give you, you know. And I, again, I'd shut it down. And then after they finished that, they were gone. And anyway, how do you know you're already saved? And off they went again. <laughs> so then we've got antinom antinomianism versus nomianism, as in that's people that are into the law or not into the law. It's like, guys, whatever you want to do, go for it. Um, as I said, so I had to shut a home group down, which was, which was not really... A very nice thing to do um, but because I had to just nip it in the bud because they just wouldn't stop fighting and it just gives an indication of really <laughs> where we're at and we've got a long way to go because unless we're prepared to actually fight for what really matters which is the primary conditions or the primary theological issues everything else is, is, is something that we can chat about and, and have honest conversation about but what we can't be doing is preaching our secondary issues as though they were primary issues. 
because that's dangerous and that's what's causing schisms. And I'll remind you again of, of the Chinese underground church. It's those secondary issues that caused a massive schism in the underground church when they used to be one people. And that's really sad. And that tells me more about our secondary issues than anything else and how dangerous they are to the unity of the church. John 13, 35 states that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, okay? Now it's hard to love someone that you don't agree with, isn't it? Especially when you're passionate about it. But there's gotta be a time where we, where we have to say, you know what, I'm gonna put my sword away on this issue because sometimes it's just better to shut up and sometimes it's better just to say nothing. Obviously, if someone says, I want you to do something and that's against your conscience, well then say so. Say, that's not something I'm comfortable doing. You know, and they have to respect that. But let's not have a big bun fight about it and, and just walk off with our handbags in a, in a strop or something. So the first thing we need to realise that as passionate as we may be about things, you know, like pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine or when's the rapture, because that's another one. How should we, you know, how should we take the Eucharist and what's your, what's your opinion on baptism? You know, baptism is another one, isn't it? It's like, no, you must only baptise in the name of Jesus. And there's these other people going, no, you must only baptise in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there's others that uh, into pedo baptism for children and they're like, no, you can't do that. And there's others that say, no, it must be full immersion. And even the full immersion, it's like, well, you're going to use living water, which is running water. Or are you going to do it in a thing? Are you going to pour on the head or are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? Are you going to bend over? Are you going to go back? Or are they going to do it themselves or someone else going to do it for them? Any, any nonsense that we can come up with. We just keep on adding to these little laws that we keep on tagging on as though this was sacrosanct. It's, I'm sorry if I'm standing on any sacred cows today. <laughs> Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 8.13 says, Therefore, if any food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. But that's, now you might think, what's that got to do with anything? because the principle is the same in this context, in that, are you going to just, you know someone doesn't believe what you believe necessarily, but are you just gonna, because you can give a better argument, just shoulder in there and just tell them your opinion and cause your brother to stumble in some way? Yeah, that's not right, it's not fair. So I've, I've written uh, the scripture a different way. First Corinthians 8, 13, therefore, if any of my secondary doctrinal issues makes my brother stumble, I will never mention my secondary doctrinal issues lest I make my brother stumble. Because the principle is the same. Paul's talking about meat, but it could be on any particular issue. Now, I'm not saying that we don't speak truth when truth needs to be spoken. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if it's just secondary theological issues that you don't agree on, for goodness sake, what, why, what, is it really worth winning the argument and losing your brother? No. I'll say that again. Is it worth winning the argument and losing your brother? No. Because that's really what we're talking about here. So firstly, love and respect is absolutely essential. So for example, there are people in, in, in living words that don't eat pork and celebrate the Sabbath. I have no problems with that because if that's what they want to do to honour God, then praise God. I also don't have a problem with Christians that don't want to eat meat on Friday but only eat fish on a Friday. Oh, but Chris, that's a tradition of man. The other one is sacred scripture. Well, 
But do you not think that God is honouring the fast that people do in some way that honours him? These people aren't, I mean, sure, some people are doing things because it's just an obligation. But some people are doing it genuinely because to them it's like, this is how I want to honour my Lord. This is how I want to honour my Saviour. Because it says, uh, where is it, in uh, Romans 14.5, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own might. In other words, I don't get to tell you, you must observe this. You must do this. You should not do that. Each must be convinced in his own mind. These are secondary issues that I'm talking about. Now, I appreciate I'm standing on some toes here because for some of you, it'll be like, no, these are, I'm going to, I'm going to live and die on this. Don't. Don't live and die on stuff. I mean, think about it. If you're going to be burnt at the stake for some of your opinions, would you really, really want to go to burn at the stake? And you'll be on that, on that, I guarantee you'll be on that stake while the feet are burning. You'll be like, I'm really not quite sure about this this anymore and, and it's too late so just don't just don't do it yeah yeah I've often thought about that would I would I burn for this no nah. but I will burn for Jesus I will burn for the gospel I will burn for true biblical doctrine I will I will go and become a martyr for the primary tenets of the faith but not whether I'm you know anti-rapture or anything like that and so because of things that I've learned over the years, you see, I, I, I've um, gone out of my way to go into other denominations' back gardens, and I've spent time in their back garden. Uh, what, what, what do you mean by that? In other words, I spent time researching their theology and understanding what they believe and why they believe it. And so because of that, I can sit in a room with crazy charismatics. Oh, Jesus! That doesn't bother me because I know, I know where they're coming from. Sorry if I'm offending people here, okay? Because I understand them. I can sit in a room with Catholics because I understand them. I can sit in a room with Anglicans because I understand them. I can sit in a room with cessationists. The problem is they don't want to sit in a room with me. Um, I, I can sit in a room with Calvinists because it was predestined to happen. Um, sorry, just come out there. <laughs> I can sit in a room with Hebrew Roots people because I value what they bring to the table. But I don't care if, if, because I don't care anymore if you believe in once saved, always saved, because it's a secondary issue. It's not a primary issue. And you know it's a secondary issue because the church has been divided on this particular issue since, since the church began. So when you come to things like that, it's like, well, there's obviously a reason why people believe it both ways. And at the end of the day, you know, pick a side but don't use your side to beat the other side, you know. And here's the thing, when you love one another and you respect each other, then you can sit down at the table and say, look, yes. this, this is what I think on this. Can I ask why you believe the contrary? And then you can have a conversation. And when you start doing that, you actually might learn something that you didn't know before. And then suddenly you're seeing a bigger picture and maybe then you have to reevaluate your own theology, or maybe they do, or maybe you just carry on, you know, I'm not changing, I'm not changing, even if I'm wrong, I'm not changing, whatever. That, that's what it happens, that's what happens. But when you love one another and you respect each other, you can be in the same room and you can have the conversation. Yeah. Because, I'm, I'm going to get into trouble saying this, because I don't think Jesus cares half as much about this stuff as we do. I can hear something, yes he does. Jesus is, Jesus is anti-vax. No, stop it, okay? No, no, he's pro-vax, I don't know, okay? Just, just, 
these things are secondary issues and I know we're passionate about them and I, I'm not mocking people. I'm just trying to say let's keep the truth the truth and let's keep our soapboxes uh, to not be the very things that divide because I believe in these days God wants to reform his church in a new and fresh way. And, and another thing that I've learned through sitting in other people's back gardens is how much I have learned things that I didn't know before. And because of that, I have a greater respect and a greater appreciation and a greater understanding about why they believe certain things that they do. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, because we can feel threatened by it. It's like, so if someone has a different system of belief for us on certain issues, we feel threatened by it. So I don't, I don't want to hang around with these people. But actually, that's not the attitude. I mean, look at Jesus' disciples. I mean, you had a tax collector and a zealot, okay? It must have taken everything Jesus had in him to stop the zealot from slitting the throat of the tax collector. Because, I mean, you know, the tax collector worked for Rome and the zealot wanted to kill every, the, the, the occupiers of Rome and those evil people that are, that are systematically being abuse, abusing the Jews because they're working for Rome. I mean, can you imagine it? And then you've got fishermen and you know, white collar guys and blue collar guys, all this ragtag bunch of people. And, and I, I think that must have been fascinating because Jesus' disciples were highly um, pol political. You just, just look at the people he chose. He had a couple of zealots. They're political. You have a guy who's a tax collector. That's very political. Okay. You had some guys that were kind of mediocre with the going along and they didn't like the Pharisees and stuff. He was a whole hogwash of different opinions. Yet somehow he brought them together to see past that and see that the gospel was the primary thing and the message of Christ. And through that unity of those 12 men, because obviously one died and then Matthias was brought in. Because of the unity of, of those 12 men, okay, some people are saying, Matthias, that was a mistake. Uh, actually, if you read the early church history books, uh, in the early church fathers, Matthias was a really important dude. Just because the Bible never mentions him again doesn't mean that he wasn't important. He was actually considered an apostle and one of the 12, and he did a lot of stuff. I know some of you are thinking, what about Paul? Okay, he was another one. All right, so what can we learn from others? If we just, this is what I believe God wants. He wants his church to come back to being one. He wants his church to come back into a place of unison and unity on the primary issues, not the secondary issues. Colossians 3.13. I'll close with this in a minute. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Uh, if, I've, if I've offended you today, please forgive me. Okay, and likewise, I get offended <laughs> a lot as well, so I have to forgive people. Uh, and if we just forgive each other and just go, mm, I don't really agree with that, as opposed to having to argue about it, I think we'll all get on a lot better. And I want to end with this. You know, oh no, he's off off on his thing again. Okay, this isn't this is a secondary issue, Chris. Stop it. Okay. So what's interesting about this book is that this is a prayer book that bridges the divide between Protestants and Catholics, okay? And you think, oh, could such a thing be done? Yes, this book's called Divine Worship Daily Office. And so basically, it's, it's, uh, it, the, the, the heart of it is the common book of prayer, but it has other stuff from other traditions brought into it as well. And so daily, when I'm praying this, now bear in mind how many, uh, there's probably about a billion uh, of that side and quite a lot on this side and when we're praying these prayers 
we're praying it as a united people. I don't necessarily have to agree with their secondary issues, but this is the primary issue, and we're praying as one body and as one people. And I want to end with this quote from St. Benedict, who was around in the 400s. And uh, you might think, who's he? But he was so influential, he wrote a a monastic rule uh, of how to live, uh, and that's still being employed by most of the monasteries around the world today, and it's considered a timeless classic. So you want to listen to this guy, okay? He's important. And this is what he said. Let them pray first together so that... Sorry, let me read it again. And let them first pray together that so they may associate in peace. I'll read it again. And let them first pray together in unity so that they may associate in peace. Hallelujah. That's where I want to end my message there. I just want to close um, this this weekend in in prayer uh, before we go and have tea and cake and all that fun stuff. Because one of the things that we've looked at for such a time as this you know, we've, we've looked at what we're doing here, our story so far. We've looked at some of the prophetic and the things that are coming and the trouble that's coming to this nation. But also God's heart for his church and how God wants his church to come together in a new way. And when things are difficult, it's amazing how people will pull together and look past annoying differences when you're all in the same boat together. And uh, this is a message that I really believe God wants his church to embrace that he wants reformation for his saints. And that's really the message of this whole conference, that the church comes back to prayer and that it is prayer that is essential to our unity and that we just got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and through that eyes focused on him, all our nonsense and our baggage and our secondary issues and our prejudices just melt away into insignificance. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, for, for this weekend conference. I thank you for all the dear people that have given up a lot, uh, both to help assist with this weekend, but and also all the people that have come from far and locally to, to come and support this event, Lord God. Father, I pray that you bless us all, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that you will change us from within and put a new spirit within us and a new heart within us, Lord God. Lord, that we will learn to love you and to love one another. Lord, that so that the world will finally see we are truly disciples. And all the saints said, Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. We say thank you to Eric and Jesus.